0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else.
0: Gravity Falls, Season 2, Part 1. back in early 2020 we put out podcasts covering every episode of season one and now several years later we finally have the time and focus to cover the remaining second season i've been waiting for gravity falls to get rediscovered on disney plus as one of the greatest animated series of all time and a vital 2012 link in the chain between The Last Airbender in 2005, Adventure Time in 2010, and successors like Steven Universe 2013 that was launched in the middle of Gravity Falls, Infinity Train 2019, Amphibia 2019, Kippo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts 2020, and I think probably most notably The Owl House 2020, which was showrunner Dana Terrace who began as a storyboard artist on Gravity Falls. And that Alex Hirsch features as several characters uh, and seems to carry a lot of this spirit along. Now, eventually our friend Maya made me stop waiting and uh, I gave her a bargain price on a commissioned show for the whole of season two. Usually we would go for a lot more if it's this much TV, but this is a job that needed to be done to just do it. Returning as guests, we have Victoria Lunaby Grieve.
2: Pulled back from the mindscape and everything.
0: <laughs> and Victoria, by the way, uh, I, I was re-listening to uh, our earlier shows and one of them you actually switched over from being named uh, uh, your previous name to Victoria. So I'm very, very happy to have been there on that show to give you a platform to say that.
2: Yeah, I remember because I remember you also went back and redubbed an episode we had already recorded but hadn't come out yet with yeah. my with my new name so yeah so thank you for that too
0: (laughs) you're very welcome and we also welcome back theo lee hello hello and thirdly because caro and debbie can't make it today though they will be on next week's grand finale we brought in the backer for this particular show we very rarely do this but i also kind of want to hear maya go super nerdy about this so hello to maya surice (laughs) (laughs) Grappling hook! <laughs> <laughs> now, this time around, we are going to go full spoilers from the jump, allowing us to stop being coquettish and zip-lipped about things near the end. Remember, in those first shows, we were very kind of like, oh, put a pin in that for later, but never say why. If you haven't seen season two, see season two. It has one of the greatest, most satisfying endings for any TV series, animated or otherwise. And the last five episodes constitute themselves a fabulous movie. But before that epic finale, we have another 16 episodes to discuss. So let us get going, noting what we liked about... And the first one is... scary I
2: love the any percent speed run of Gravity Falls.
3: Here.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, the big thing here is this is when Stan finally activates the device to mm-hmm. bring Ford back from wherever he, he was wandering. When you're first watching this and you don't know what's going on, it's really significant because Stan has become more and more... Sinister, through the end of the first season, and this is the one where you see that he's doing something very grand and, like, turns it on, and there's significant backlash for that that will, he will, you know, it will play in later when the government arrives, but in this first episode you just see Stan working on this with like a passion only suited for very sad twins and villains who want to show the academy who the real genius is
0: mm. Mm. I actually misremembered uh, this first episode I thought that I thought Stanford came back far earlier than he actually did and uh, i thought he was just a fixture of season two it takes like 10 episodes to get him back it's
4: a long while before you actually get stanford yeah one of the things that kind of foreshadows that though that i noticed this time that's kind of cool is that when stanley is uh grunkle stan is kind of mucking around with the machine he puts on a glove that has an extra finger on it nice
0: yeah, yeah that really That good was that. a nice
4: little bit of foreshadowing.
0: Willow pointed out something I'd never noticed before. Stanford has six fingers. Regular adults in Gravity Falls have five fingers. The kids mm-hmm. have four have fingers, four. as in the three Simpsons style fingers and a thumb. And at no point does anyone acknowledge that Stan, that there is that strange anomaly there. Like, no one ever says, oh, you, you, you dudes haven't even uh, grown your fifth finger yet. <laughs> This one reminds oh, me of uh, uh, the zombie episode of Community, uh, because uh, it, it's it's specifically that Seuss becomes a zombie and part of the Living Dead, but is also quite chatty about the the whole. Yeah, oh, we just want to kind of eat your brains uh, side of things. And once again, this show <laughs> that was has... a really
4: good impression of Seuss.
0: I know I'm good at that. <laughs> uh, we have a masterful handling of the balance of tone between f- funny and creepy i think no more so than the finale the five-part uh, weird mageddon because so many things happen in that that should make children cry but they keep making us laugh as well so you're kind of caught in that strange space in between where you don't feel irritated because of the flip-flopping back and forth because they've managed to hold it consistently the whole time
5: And it's very rapid fire, so it's not like you have a nice lingering shot of the horrors. It's just like, okay, here's the weird thing, we're moving on.
2: And uh, one of the things that I really realized as I was going through here, so many of these episodes would make incredible plots for like a Delta Green game or something that was a little bit more hardcore horror in, uh, in that way. So the fact that they are able to do something that when you're looking back on it, you're just thinking about the, you know, the main points of what the weirdness is that's going on. It's just, oh, that's that's actually pretty terrifying. And then when you watch it, it's it's heartwarming and occasionally like gut wrenching in the way that they do it. It's 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 amazing that they have such horrific content in a, in what is a children's show.
0: I'm looking at pictures of wendy now and uh yeah that is still just three fingers you need to be a lot older to get that yeah Zeus has five
1: yeah so (laughs) when
4: we get to his birthday you if you do the math you kind of figure out how old he actually is and he is in his early 20s he's somewhere between like 20 to 22. one of the other kind of important things that gets revealed in this is that you know now that dipper kind of has access to the journals again, and and all of that. He discovers that black light reveals hidden messages that the author put in there. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a pretty consistent thing that comes up throughout the rest of season
0: two. So yeah, I mean, this is one of those standard stories where the you know the zombies are coming to get you, and you have to sing a uh, a fun um, '80s uh, "Don't Stop Believing." analog tune to make their heads explode and again the, the the fact that Seuss gets caught up watching TV is the reason why he's still alive at the end
2: and Stan gets his big hero moment and, and reveals to that he's aware of what's going on but I want to point out because this is going to be a recurring thread from the first uh, episodes is uh, the evidence in the little moments of Dipper being trans mask That song specifically is about like girls' night going out and they don't need Mm. no boys. And the line that Dipper takes specific umbrage with is about wearing a dress.
0: Don't worry, Daddy, I've got my prom dress on or something.
3: The and Gentlemen! I'm Mabel, they're Dipper and Stan, and together we're Love Patrol Alpha!
6: I never agreed to that name! Hit it! Uh, Mabel, our lives may not be worth this. Friday night, we're gonna party till dawn. Don't worry, Daddy, I've got my favorite dress on. Mabel, this is stupid!
3: We're rolling to the party, the boys are looking our way. We just keep dancing, we don't care what
0: they say. And all the boys are getting up in my
3: face.
6: Boys are a bore, let's show them the door. We're taking over!
2: Like that that's the thing that almost makes Dipper refuse to participate more than anything else.
0: But the tension lies in because Grunkle Stan's been lying to us for a whole season. Can we trust him? And that lasts all the way up to the reveal mm. of Stanford because he still hasn't told them about the, the deepest, darkest secrets. So they they can trust him, but he's not telling them stuff.
4: He's still kind of lying by omission.
0: Yeah. So the uh, next episode is Into the Bunker. That is the parody of The Thing with a bit of Pan's Labyrinth in there, guest starring Mark Hamill. It's the one where Dipper finally opens up to Wendy about how he feels about her.
4: Having to be dragged kicking and screaming into opening up to her more like. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny that there is so much cringe in this episode between the two of them, but you kind of see, especially early on, that if Dipper would just relax around Wendy, they're actually very good friends. Mm. And it's a super fine and healthy relationship until he starts making it weird. Yeah, I, I love Wendy. Just uh, There's so many notes in,
2: on my, my sheets here that are just, I love Wendy Go so much. She's a great character. She's a feminist icon, I, I don't know.
4: They're kind of looking for this underground bunker and because we've had this scene previously where you show that there are hidden messages in the blacklight dipper finds that there's this hidden bunker under a tree and Wendy uses some of her old lumberjack games training to climb the tree with her belt, like a lumberjack would. And like, she ties it off on herself and takes her ax and just smashes a branch that she assumes is a switch and she's right. And uh, and it works. It's like, she's got a lot of little moments like that that makes sense for why her character would be able to do something like that, but also just makes her seem all that much cooler and all that more unattainable to Dipper, which is very charming to me. <laughs>
0: Is it? I, I'm misremembering the exact events of the episode because they're crossing with uh, Dipper's relationship with Stanford. Uh, did, does he pursue this new potential mentor figure just really wanting to believe this story?
4: I think so. I think he's so desperate for an answer or to just find whoever has written the journals that he clings on to the first thing that comes around and doesn't think much of it. And he again, he gets so excited that he doesn't really even question it until Wendy points out to him, like, hey, look at this weird old-timey can of beans. The, the guy that we've encountered looks exactly like this. This mm-hmm. might be our shapeshifter that has been sort of hinted at.
2: We know, uh, Dipper knows that this is supposed to be the bunker for the author to hide in. Mm-hmm. They go down there, they find evidence that someone is still there, they find an old white guy, who you said was voiced by Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I would believe yeah. that that's probably a hero figure. It's an Occam's um,
0: razor situation. Everything points yes. to the idea that this should, in fact, be what they expect.
2: And mm-hmm. and to Dipper's credit, as soon as Wendy shows him that can of beans, he immediately kind of understands what's going yeah. on here and, and
7: switches
0: hinky. tactics.
4: Oh, yeah, and if he's going to listen to anybody, it's going to be Wendy if she points out something like that to him.
0: Yeah, good point. I also really like the uh, when when there's the inevitable. I'm Wendy, no, I'm Wendy. When the shapeshifters messing with uh, with them, they mm. the shapeshifter winks at him in what's actually kind of a disturbing fashion. When you realise immediately that's the shapeshifter doing that, and then Wendy does like a little secret zip lip, drop the key thing mm-hmm. that is something that only they know about. The wink comes back in one of the last episodes with another. I noticed fake that Wendy. too.
4: I was like, oh, the wink actually kind of pays off way, way at the end of season two, which I thought was awesome. but it, yeah, she yeah. she does the little zip the mouth closed, throw away the key hmm. earlier in the in the episode just to to uh, seed that for later.
0: Nice. So the actual follow up was beyond the follow up, if that makes sense.
2: There are okay. a lot of little things like that in in season two, like little tiny bits that end up coming back in the end in, in like mm-hmm. bigger ways, which is sort of you know the weird mageddon is is everything coming back, but it's oh yeah even small moments like that. It's, yeah, it's,
4: even smaller moments like this. One of the uh, there's a I wrote this down because I just thought it was such a great throwaway line where. Uh, there's a moment where Wendy and Dipper are trapped in with this this monster, this worm that seems to be, you know, creating all these holes and stuff. They're like, hey, there's a monster in here. Let us out. Like, we're serious. Mabel is trying to get Dipper to actually open up to Wendy and confess his feelings for her, and he just can't do it. Wendy's like, hey, come on. Like, just say whatever it is Mabel wants you to say so she'll let us out of here. He still can't do it. Later on... Zeus is like, "Hey, they said there was a monster in there with them. Maybe, maybe we should go investigate that." And Mabel's like, "Oh, I thought they were just joking." Zeus just goes, "You know, Dipper's jokes are terrible. <laughs> it's it's great. I thought that was a great little throwaway line. Good little moment of
0: comedy for Zeus."
5: And considering everything they've already been through, I, Mabel maybe should have. Well, oh, this is Gravity Falls. There's probably a monster in there.
0: Mabel isn't exactly a skeptic like uh, Scully in in all of these uh, early seasons of the X Files, but she her mind doesn't jump to supernatural shenanigans the way Dippers immediately does. Like she has to be kind of in the middle of it to accept it.
1: Mm. Well, or it's more that the supernatural shenanigans may well be going on. She has Mabel things to consider. And mm. And it's not really that important
0: also she takes note of people's emotional responses because mm-hmm. someone needs to
1: yeah there's weird stuff happening is everybody okay in that case I'm okay too
0: yeah absolutely crucial to the uh, balance dynamic of this also, this no. one's really scary. Like the uh, Cowboy Bebop episode with the with the sort of alien homage in, in there. It's out of the episodes that might get kids a little nervous. This one and Summerween are, are up there.
2: This was, I think, the one that I was really thinking about when I'm like, wow, this is actually horrifying. And they even lampshaded at the end where uh, the shapeshifter turns into <laughs> Dipper screaming as it's being frozen. And Seuss is just like...
6: Keep digging. You'll need a fate worse than you can imagine, and this will be the last form you ever take. <laughs>
4: <laughs> good luck sleeping tonight. Yeah, good. Yeah. good luck with that. Like, oh God, it and is. Then- it, there's a. There's a ton of allusions to, especially John Carpenter's The Thing, mm. in this. All of those weird transformations. Uh, you can almost. See like the the head coming out of the body and growing all the little spider legs like that is almost Pure John Carpenter, right there.
0: Yeah. And also, the uh, Dipper frozen in a scream is exactly what happens to him in the next episode where he gets turned into a bit of wood. Wait, wait, not the next episode. But, but, but yeah, Episode 10, course. Northwest Mansion mystery.
2: But as far as connections to the overall plot, this is where they find the laptop that ultimately will point them to Fiddleford and also cause a reoccurrence of my personal hero in two more episodes.
0: So. And you know why I thought it was the next one? It's because they're both big Pacifica episodes Pacifica continues mm. to be a bit of a heel in this one where she goes up against Mabel in golf tournaments and it's mini golf, which kind of makes the the, the whole the the sport that much sillier. Yeah,
2: so, this, so this is the golf war. This yeah. yeah, this is the yeah. golf war with uh, Patton Oswald. Yes,
0: yeah. yeah, he's the yes. Uh, little golf gnome thingy. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> running those lilliputians sounds better when yeah. written than when said.
4: Oh yeah, that's right. He's part of the the Dutch. There are all these different factions of mini golf balls. This is a very silly episode, yes. but like, I like. <laughs> It is a little bit of a filler episode, maybe, but I think the absurdity of it kind of uh, just kind of brings it over the edge a little bit to being enjoyable enough. And it is important that it reestablishes that adversity between Mabel and Dipper and Pacifica and her parents.
0: Although, um, as I recall, you do start to feel more sorry for Pacifica in this because you see her rotten parents. Mm-hmm.
5: Yep. Pacifica never really had a chance being raised by those people, and to a certain extent, those people didn't have a chance being raised by generational wealth rots brains, is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> Agreed.
1: It, it really does <laughs> underpin that idea of the uh, the the... Uh, Things claiming to go way back have significant question marks over them. Does anybody mm-hmm. else, by the way, think that the faces on the little golf ball people is really, it's kind of cup Yeah.
0: Yeah,
4: I was it thinking is. that when I was watching it the other day. I was like, ooh, these are weird, like, little cup-head animation, uh, like the the cartoon specifically, the Netflix cartoon adaptation.
0: Pacifica's story of being the rich girl with awful parents and uh, a family who pushes her into exceptionalism and looking down on other people, it feels like Pacifica gulfed so that Amity could do magic in the Owl House. Like There, there is a most definite let's get to Pacifica's archetype early and start growing and building her character there when clearly Dana Terrace had a thing going on. Please,
2: mm. please, please. Amity can do magic at the beginning. It is so Amity can kiss girls by the end. Come on,
0: that was the yeah. symbolism I meant, but I was trying not to spoil it too much. I mean, but mean, yeah. it
2: is It is true that us queer girls can do magic. That is just the case, but yeah.
4: We did establish that Theo is a unicorn, so. If the
8: men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church.
2: Theo, that means that when we get to the unicorn episode, I want to hear your best nay. Yes. (laughs) There's one more thing I wanted to mention about the Gulf War. This does a thing that Gravity Falls is particularly good at that I feel like a lot of shows since then have done where it positions the episode to be a kind of schmaltzy moral tale Mm. and then subverts it partway through or at the end because this one very much is positioning itself to be like well cheating is bad and then dipper says pacific is rich she's cheating at life which is a great line
4: i love that line line. it's so good and at the
2: end it's actually more about how like rivalries and competition can hurt community and people to, and people coming together and you actually may have more in common with some individuals than others while at the same time saying for like Pacifica is like a person you can relate to on some level. Her parents should be hurled into a volcano and it's, it, it does something more with it than just cheating is bad. It's like, no, it's more nuanced than that, which is something Gravity Falls is great at.
5: I kind of take it back that Pacifica doesn't have a chance. She's still young enough that she can learn how to be a decent person and interact with us little people. Haha, <laughs> little, little punchins. <laughs> um, the the line she has at the end about how she's offered the taco, and she says, oh, I'm not supposed to ha- accept handouts. Which just really makes me sad. Yeah. Because sharing is not, you know, just handout. It's just like, just sh- have a taco. Mabel
4: even brings up the fact that like you, you do know what sharing is, right? Like she's almost completely oblivious to that concept.
5: Just the, the concept of generosity and friendliness is so foreign to her, that just kind of breaks my heart. But uh,
4: the part that broke my heart, like going along with that, was even just being offered a ride home because her parents kind of ditched her there and didn't even come back to pick her up after the little competition was over. Like even that is difficult for her to do to admit that she actually does need a ride home.
5: That's just sad, but she does yeah. if, if she does spend enough time you know being friends with kids like Dipper and Mabel, then maybe
1: maybe she can be a decent person mm-hmm. I do like the fact that the what what they bring her in with at the end there is all the little things that if you live in a small community, do tend to get extended even to the people that you don't really get on very well with if somebody is left stranded and you can give them a lift home you do if you have food and the other person is hungry you share it it's just what you do it's regardless mm-hmm. of what the quality of your relationship is if you can then you do also you're <laughs>
0: tapping into uh, one of the ugliest sides of uh Late stage capitalism, specifically American mentality, late stage capitalism, which is that sharing handouts, generosity with anything other than simply flashing money around is socialism, which equals communism, which equals not American, which equals we cannot ever fall to doing that. Which means that people who are in need are sponging cheats who are uh, feeding off the system, which means that anybody who you could help out, you shouldn't help out. Mm. That is poison. That is brain fucking poison. And Americans get fed that from birth.
4: Yeah. The next episode that heavily features Pacifica and her parents, I think, even take that concept a step further. Yeah. And really delve into it. So we'll save it. <laughs> we'll save it for when we get there. But that is going to become super important.
0: Put a big old pin in that.
1: Also, not to yeah. mention how their story closes out.
0: Yeah, indeed. Mmm. Episode four. Sock Opera. This is the one Yay. with Gabe the puppet guy. Uh, one of the funniest <laughs> in season two. This
4: episode cracks me up. This is what actually, like, aside from all of the weird Mageddon stuff at the end, this is one of my favorites. It's a it's a standout episode for a lot of different reasons. Most significantly, it's the first episode in season two where Bill Cypher makes a reappearance. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it starts out with this just all of the puppet stuff cracks me up so much and being that I had a mentor in college who was like not one of these puppet guys but that was like his specialty I got to know a lot of people that were like basically Gabe except they didn't always constantly wear the puppets on their hands
0: some like puppets i, I on know the inside. people in
4: real life <laughs> that were basically gay but just scaled back up a, a tiny bit like they dress in all black all the time they've got like the turtle it's like they're always ready to go backstage and perform with their little puppets and sometimes they just have them on their person maybe they don't have them on their hands but they've just got them <laughs> to pull out at any moment i'm I am not kidding. These these people exist, which is why this episode is even funnier to me. Uh. It's like, oh, God, this is so cringy. This is taking me back to grad school and these insufferable people that, like, insisted on dressing in all black as if they were ready to go to a black box theater at any moment and put on one of their shows because they thought that was being cool and edgy and like... Uh, subversive to be doing like guerrilla theater wherever they were and stuff like oh my god it just oh
1: <laughs> it took it took me back it, it took me back to a very specific place in time <laughs> same here I went to a what is effectively a theater college and most of the people that I was at university with were like this I dated an opera singer <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> and the always ready to sing at a moment's notice. Oh my god. Yeah. So
0: everyone who works on stage is a bit mad, but if you work on stage with puppets, you're definitely mad.
4: Oh, they are insufferable. It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the puppet people or the ventriloquist people are worse. Like, it's a, it's kind of a, mm, the scale is pretty even there, but these people do exist and they are kind of insufferable and they do take on the attitude that Gabe has which is, well if you're not actively doing a show at any point in time like right now then you can't really be that serious about it. You can't really be that passionate about it if you're not currently working on something right this moment and like ready to go at a moment's
1: notice. Every moment is a chance to work on your improv skills. Oh...
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh
5: boy. Sharon, my soul just left my body. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, no. <laughs> that sounds like some upright citizens' brigade shit. And we all know that that thing is a cult or like cult adjacent. So, duh. No,
9: yeah, no. Uh,
5: to, to be always on like that is, is it, it, it's got to be exhausting because I, I'm never just one thing. And people who just build themselves around this one thing. What if that thing goes away or they can't do it anymore? What have they got left? Mm.
0: Mm. Will, specifically, uh, in the uh, past couple of months, we've been sort of illuminating to them indoctrination into cults and, and what cult leaders do to uh, to sort of get your head into their space and, and, and to absorb their reality. Uh, but Willow has also i um, been watching a lot of uh, YouTube improv and we must keep them away from the improv crowd because oh. it could just get out of hand <laughs> and they don't know what they're letting themselves in for. Oh. And I would tell them a reason not to get into improv and they would say yes and as opposed to even arguing with me.
4: <laughs> oh, no. See, the indoctrination has taken hold already. <laughs> You guys oh, got to call oh, up Rick Allen Ross mm. and Stephen Hassan, get some intervention in there. I'm totally kidding. But, uh, but like to the, the, bring exactly it back think of the, the worst actual... that could
0: happen. Prop comic. Oh. Just yeah, I mean, that, imagine I how many the people. The prop
4: comedy stuff. Yeah. Do you want Gallagher? Because that's how so you get yes. Gallagher. Gallagher. <laughs> That's how you get At least I'm not I mean, carrot also, top, you little more, son of a bitch. More recently, more recently, that's how you get Yay. Like the twenty twenty three version of Kanye West.
0: Okay. Doing a right.
4: frickin' prop comedy on on InfoWars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's the worst. Okay. So please tell me he
0: brings along his gay frog puppet just to just to freak out Alex Jones.
4: That would have been better. And what do you think about me, Cloud Frog? I think you're a big fat piece of crap. Aye. That uh, would have been better.
0: Uh, okay, so Sokob Frog.
4: Pra- <laughs> right. I was going to so,
2: say to to segue into a much less horrible existential monster. Mm-hmm. Bill. Bill Cipher.
0: Psy- so
2: <laughs> <laughs> but Bill, I pain is Oof. hilarious. Bodies are weak. It's just. It's incredible. He speaks to me.
4: Yes. speaking of looking like a Cuphead character, Dipper, when he's possessed by Bill, Mm. immediately made me think of the, uh, again, especially the Netflix cartoon version of Cuphead. It looked very much like that there are some really disturbing stuff where bill is just like slamming his hand into a drawer and it's got forks stuck in it he's like evil dead I'm, i'm drinking soda like a normal person and he's like pouring it all over his face it's like really uh it's just awful he he's like i'm gonna go down the stairs and he just throws himself down the stairs completely stiff as a board like, oh, man,
2: it's so genius because it, it's it perfect up, for him. Well, no, but even how he gets there, because they have the, the laptop that they can't get the password for the Dipper can't figure it out. And the idea that Bill just starts seeping into Dipper's dreams to give him this enticing offer, this I can give you that, which is exactly what he did with Ford decades previous, right? So mm-hmm. Dipper, this season really positions Dipper as the new Ford and Mabel as the new Stan except both of them are also a little bit of each other so that's kind of why they never they never fall so much and one of the reasons why Ford is like, wait, you beat Bill Cipher twice? Excuse me? You're 12!
4: Yeah, and it's because and very pointedly, it's because they were to, Dipper and Mabel, were together ford was yes. trying to fight bill on his own
1: yeah on those lines i think you're absolutely right victoria the way dipper is leaning more towards being like ford in this and mabel starts to lean more towards being like stan we don't know it yet but i think that's where these little elements of more selfish behaviour which is you're absolutely spot on very uncharacteristic for her start to seep in that she is it, it's almost like this is this is a thing for her to do entirely without Dipper's involvement, which is not normally what she looks for. But it does come back later on when uh, Dipper starts behaving more and more like Ford and Mabel ends up leaning fully into the, fine, if you're going to go off and do something without me, then I'm going to go off and do something potentially uh, harmful to all of us as mm. an acting out thing um i also one of the things that i really liked about this episode was how it flashed into my head when i was playing final fantasy VI.
0: <laughs> Oh, well, with the, the <laughs> with whole the, theater with scene the,
1: the opera the theater scene and specifically the bit where you're crawling around in the rafters trying to hide from rats mm-hmm. and fight oh an octopus. yeah 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 and it meant that when they when the it, the bits where they're doing the whole climbing around in the um uh, uh, the prop um the wedding cake thing. But as as a result, at this stage, every time Bill shows up, I'm thinking of him as a little purple octopus. (laughs) Oh, you got to beat the octopus now.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. I feel like if Gabe the puppet guy had said to Mabel, Mabel, stay with me here. We'll do puppetry together. Mabel would have instantly had the, 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 the honey shine taken off the relationship and gone, well, I can't let Dipper go back home without me. Whereas Dipper actually does seem really tempted to stay with Stanford. And mm. it's not just the man. It's the fact that he can pursue what he actually wants to do. It's a gen—it's the last temptation of Dipper. Uh, or a lot rather, <laughs> the actual last temptation of Dipper involves that fake Wendy. But it's the penultimate temptation of Dipper. But this one's far more strong. It has a, a real hold on him. And you're right in that Mabel has to push into the notion that Dipper does sacrifice himself for her repeatedly, and she doesn't question it when she's able to see it in perspective. But also, as well as being maybe the funniest in this season for me, it's also the scariest, because as you say, the uh, the whole... A a demon has control of your body and you are in the sunken place or you are disembodied like Doctor Strange watching this demon defile your physicality. They keep it kid-friendly, but my God, that is Evil Dead. That is the absolute ruination of the human Mm -hmm. form and it's very creepy and it makes uh, Bill Cipher seem more dangerous than he was before.
2: But it, it, it's also wonderful because in the end, it is Mabel in all of her childlike silliness mm. that is the one who overcomes him with tickles. Yeah. the It's like, ah, oh, you have a human body, so you have all of its weaknesses.
4: Yep, and Dipper <laughs> has not slept for almost 12, like he's gotten no sleep, he's exhausted. Like she knows that Dipper's actual body is not in good shape right now. So, like, if you were going to pick anybody to use as a human puppet, you picked a very weak vessel at this time.
0: Although Mabel's uh, play is... Terrible, at least aside from the fact that it's uh, you know done with socks and thus hilarious. But if anything, it reminds me of Count Olaf in a series of unfortunate events because it begins with a big sing song about how great Mabel is, who's cast herself as the star,
1: and also it's there's a fake wedding involved.
0: Indeed. So, the next one, Susan the Real Girl. Oh, a woman.
6: All right, Seuss, you can do this. Just use your mouth to say words that makes romance happen. Your face is good. I'm a Seuss. Eye
3: contact.
6: Hey there, I'm not scared of your eyes at all. I'm going to look at them. Ah! Eye contact. Conversation. Huh, you know, I've uh, actually been in a pig's body. Did you know pigs have a hard time walking backwards? (laughs) Not you, though. Not that I'm calling you a pig. Where are you going?
3: Confident.
6: You're probably a girl, right? Wrong. No, I was right the first time.
0: Wrong. This is, uh, I think, one of the ones that uh, uh, friends of ours who uh, kind of warm to Zeus really uh, got to, uh, to uh, uh, like him in this one because it manages to portray a, a young man who is awkward and well-meaning and doesn't mean to offend, upset, or scare women, but does so anyway. And you can feel a palpable sense of loneliness and almost hopelessness about him occasionally.
5: It could have gone bad real quick. Oh yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Having been on the receiving end of um, guys who treated me like I was an NPC in a dating sim.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
5: Oh. I swear, there's there's some kind of switch that flips. A guy finds out I'm asexual, and they go, "Challenge accepted."
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, seriously?
5: Oh, yes. And well, and it's it's like, well, if 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 I pick dialogue options A, G, and C and X, I'll unlock the secret pants level. It is it's <laughs> it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. There's there's no if-then tree in women's brains where you can practice with a dating sim or something and then take that knowledge out into the real world, it doesn't work like
4: that. Mm -hmm. They'll pretty much, I mean, they'll, it doesn't even have to be that. It's like, you could throw almost anything at some of these guys like, oh, sorry, I'm in a relationship. Sorry, I'm married. Sorry, I'm not interested in your gender. Like I'm gay, I'm whatever. You can throw any excuse at them and they will see whatever it is as a challenge.
0: I'll cure you of your husband? Unless he's yeah. really big.
4: I, I mean, big it doesn't one. matter. Like,
5: when, when, <laughs> when I worked at Walmart, I wore a fake wedding band to, to keep guys from, from trying to pick me up at the check stand. I'm not even kidding.
4: You would not believe how much of a deterrent that does not make a difference at all. And, and it,
5: it wasn't it wasn't. I d I, I. one guy I actually showed him I said, I said, I'm sorry, I'm I'm married and he's he says, Well he doesn't have to know. I'm like, Are
1: you kidding? Oh my god nope. Do you not oh, yeah. see the ring? Okay, you will when I punch you with it.
5: I just Jesus. I I just, I just reduced to the to, to nonverbal nonsense. It was just absolutely ridiculous.
2: And then that's not even uh, including the ever-present, oh, you're a lesbian. Well, I bet you just haven't had the right. <sighs> yeah, exactly. In which yeah. case I say, no, I promise you. <laughs> the bottom line is if Giffany, or is it Giffany, were Giphany. real. Giphany. yes. Giphany, oh my God. It's, it's <laughs>
5: Giph, and I will die on this hill. It is I, Giph, I also and say I will Giph. burn
2: it down and live in the words. Um, <laughs> but uh, if Giphany was real, we would really have a lot fewer of those men because they would be trapped in their basements, uh, probably thinking they were doing a really good job. And if they ever left to hit on somebody else, their weird electronic girlfriend would kill them with an animatronic. So like, I'm saying in retrospect, maybe Jiffney's the good guy. In, in our modern day, anyway.
5: Weird take, but okay.
2: I mean, look at the, look at, like, so many people love Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm Mm. just saying that our society today could really use some Giffenies. (laughs) We do live in a society, so (laughs) I am told. Mainly by Alex
4: on this show. (laughs) Did uh, anybody else get GLaDOS vibes from Giffeny? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay.
0: This does tie in with a later episode, right before the big plunge at the end, uh, when uh, Dipper is on the road, Trying to pick up as many women as possible on Grunkle Stan's shit advice, and Grunkle Stan used the term "pickup artist," and it was—it's actually been more recently and uh, since I've seen Gravity Falls, uh, and I've been watching a lot of Chad, Chad, and dudes who give other men advice on how to meet and pick up women. Is it beta to show your
6: emotions around women? So the red pillars say absolutely not, it's super beta, never show emotion. And you know, a lot of the feminists or blue pillars say, oh, women love a guy who's super sensitive, so of course.
9: So fellas, alphas say that it's beta to show emotions in front of women, but women say that women don't mind it, and they actually prefer men who can regulate their emotions. Who do we believe?
0: I think again, the truth here is somewhere in the middle. You don't wanna be the guy that's very emotional, that's always reacting
2: to everything, that's kind of crying, or just comes off as anything resembling a little or
9: we could stop acting like emotions are gendered and accept that some people are more emotional than others <laughs> oh my god tyler what's wrong my mom just died in a house fire no no, no. i mean why are you having a pink emotion right now what crying is a pink girly emotion and you're a guy so you're only allowed to have blue boy ones <laughs> like unbridled rage is that a molotov cocktail in your hand no you killed my mom see there you go
6: i'm like how about later tonight around 11 we can just hang out and drink wine I don't mean you people after 8 p.m., baby. I'm like, well, why is that? Too dark. <laughs> I'm like, you do realize they have lights, right? She
9: doesn't mean there aren't fucking lights. She means going on dates with men that you don't know is scary and you have to meet in a public, well lit, open space for your own safety. <laughs> you just imagining a woman who doesn't know what lights are? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, silly. I'm a light. Oh. And Jesus Christ.
0: And I think the word artist is. Inac-
1: Overstating
0: it. Inaccurate when it comes to these practices. It's not an art, it's a code. It's a, sp- like, the, the, if you're going for this kind of, I've got these lines to say, I've got these approaches to make, I have a formula, that's not art. That's effectively, you're, you're pr- trying to program a girl and you're hoping that your hack succeeds Mm. and if it doesn't you just move on to the next one a lot of uh pick up men because if we think about con artists they're also called con men pick up men advertise their wares as this works all of the time when the reality is and they often have to add this caveat you do have to do it to a lot of women before eventually you find one with low self-esteem enough that she's too exhausted to repel you so yeah, pick up artist, no longer in my vocabulary. Pick up man. Or maybe pick up dude. Pud. a pud.
2: If, if you want a real good uh, investigation on that, I can recommend the podcast If Books Could Kill. They the did an podcast? episode on the podcast? Yes, it is a podcast on it called If Books Could Kill. They did an episode on the game. And
4: mm. it's oh.
2: incredible, like <sighs> them going through like what was the Ur er text of that community.
4: I feel like the podcast, the worst bestsellers may have done an episode on the game as well. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like something they would have covered too.
0: I think I've heard of them as well.
4: Yeah. Uh, So a couple of things that I thought were really adorable in this episode, aside from the fact that Zeus is like, actually learning how to talk to women and does it pretty successfully at one time. The woman that he ends up taking on the date and then taking to his cousin's wedding, which kind of put him on this whole thing in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Melanie is working at a place called the Meat Cute.
6: Yeah.
4: M-E-A-T Cute, which I just thought was an adorable (laughs) pun. And then there's a moment where they're in the like Chuck E. Cheese type place where the animatronics come to life very much like five nights at freddy's like victoria mentioned before. i checked
0: it's this it's within months of each other these this episode which yeah, has clearly been created was beforehand close. Was, uh... so
4: there's a slide in there and mabel t- takes her shoes off and puts them in the little shoe holder before she goes up the slide i just thought that was great like she actually <laughs> stops everything that she's doing to just take her shoes off that was that was really cute memories
1: one mm-hmm. of the things I really liked about the uh, interactions between Seuss and Melanie is when she sees him riding on the train and that engenders the little conversation about how she thinks he's really cool for eschewing the whole grown-up men don't do this, mm. sod it, you're going to do what you want. She gives him two quarters so he can have another ride. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm.
0: sweet as well. Like, like she, just, she just sort of hands them to him in a nonchalant way, but not in a cruel kind of go on, put them in, you little child. Just in a kind of, a, here you go, here's, here's a, have like, a, a couple yeah, extra enjoy rides on me. Not like that. I I was not planning that. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. But uh, yeah, no. I I love the fact that this one ends with it turns out she's going back to Portland. So it's not massively far away. It's still in the whole Pacific Northwest sort of area. But they have to communicate with each other as a long distance relationship, which is actually Zeus's comfort zone. Mm. And since she ends up working in the mystery shack at the very end. It establishes that they maintain that friendship at a distance and actually make it work that way, rather than the conventional, what normal people do, quote unquote, just meet someone at your workplace and then go out on a date with them, or go onto a dating site or something like that.
1: The distance kind of allows Zeus to have... Zeus. Zeus, sorry, uh, to, to sort of have that pressure eased up. He can maintain the contact, yeah. but he doesn't have to worry about well. Okay, do I call her every day? Do I see her every day? Do we do all the things that nervousness and high-pressure environment might potentially um, exacerbate exacerbate things?
0: The beginning of the episode is is uh, like the C plot of this one. Was it the B plot? I can't remember. There is is Sand trying to get rid of that disgusting panning for gold statue thing? And it like the the thing that just dribbles oil and screams again like it would actually make kids cry but seeing the other kid cry at it for some reason something awful happening and a kid crying is hilarious to kids that makes kids laugh just because they've been there but they've also been looking at other kids crying and going that is quite a lot of fuss well
1: there's an element of humor particularly slapstick humor which is thank goodness that's not me Mm.
0: But when you're a kid who's getting a little bit older, it kind of reconfirms that you're getting a little bit older because you've got a bit more self-control and you know that when you fall over, you can go, Oof, I'm okay.
5: Yeah, I have two toddler nieces and they, they fall over the, the slightest little thing and they mm. burst into tears like it's the
0: end of the world. Oh. It's How do their parents it, react when they fall over?
5: Uh, it's it's sort of like, hey, are you okay? You're okay, and there's sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself off.
0: Wow, that's just, exactly yeah. what they should be doing. <laughs> that's yeah, that's exactly yeah, it's, what it's, we did, did with Willow.
5: Yeah, it's, it, it, they're they they're good parents. Um, mm. they, they just sort of treat it like it's no big deal, and so it's, it's like, well, the, the toddler has no perspective. They yeah. don't know that that's not the worst thing that could happen. Mm.
0: But if you're a prospective parent on, on the rise and you've got a baby right now and you're wondering what's going to happen if they fall over, whatever you do, do not go, oh, oh, poor baby, poor baby are you okay? Mummy's going to buy you a toy. It's okay.
5: It's okay. Don't cry. Don't
0: cry. That's the worst possible thing you could do. That's
5: how you get a Pacifica.
0: The other thing that clearly inspired this Five Nights at Freddy's look in Chuck E. Cheese place is the Country Bear Jamboree at Disney. Now Theo oh, yeah. you were with us at Disney. We could have gone to that thing. But over the course of those days we had been saying I'd be, I had been saying to Willow, can we go do the Country Bear Jamboree and Willow was like, "Nope, too creepy." And I I was like, "Yes, but you like creepy things." Like if we all both sit in the audience going, oh, "I want to leave. All I'm imagining is this bear's metal skeleton with his completely intact staring eyes." Like, that's a joke. That's what we get to talk about later. But Will was adamant that they, they were never going to attend the Country Bear Jamboree. And uh, I, think
5: it's a, I think it's a difference between something that's meant to be creepy and something that was meant to be cute, yeah. but misses the mark.
0: Yeah. And th- yeah. But that's exactly it. Like, uh, um, Will's generation have that macabre sense of humor about things that are supposed to be great, but are actually kind of scary. Hence, Five Nights at Freddy's being monumentally mm-hmm. huge.
2: Animatronics like that were also really popular in the 90s, right? When mm-hmm. most of us were growing up. I mean, I went to a an establishment for Charles Entertainment Cheese Tom, at one
0: point in my life. Me. Oh
2: yeah. Uh so the, the
0: idea because everyone knows now, that the uh, animal you want to think of while you're eating your pizza is a rat it's
4: a rat
2: <laughs> yeah i mean obviously uh, right i it's mean you favorite. want to get you want to get some pasquale's pizza from charles entertainment cheese <laughs> so you um but, but it's this idea that now gravity falls was like 20 years later right yeah because you said it was 2012
0: yeah yeah Began.
2: so that's about the right time for that zeitgeist cycle to come back around. So there were several like animatronic things that were kind of coming out or like being, being established like Five Nights at Freddy's. Which this episode clearly gloms onto. And then that segues because animatronics, it turns out, have always been kind of horrifying in their own way. It's just in the 90s when we didn't have the internet and we all had slap bracelet poisoning, it was um, you know, the only good thing to do. So uh, you know, between that and the binders with the Lisa Frank and all of that, the '90s were a really weird. Time,
5: Tripping is what over all tied together. Oh, to your oh the the, the yeah. '80s were worse. Having grown <laughs> up in the '80s, it, it, the, the the neon alone that oh, yeah. was the precursor to slap bracelets. Everything was neon colored, and Chuck E. Cheese used to be used to be called Showbiz Pizza, and before the Rat, they had this bear character.
4: Oh, yeah, and he the had show this bear.
5: Yeah, he had this this sort of late '70s melty, goopy look about him that was supposed to be cute, but ended up looking like he'd been left out in the sun too long. And that was when the animatronic was fresh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah.
5: It was really it was it was it, it's always been a nightmare, is what I'm
0: saying. It was quite a spectacular <laughs> yeah. time to be young and alive, and uh, so to to witness all of these patronizing things thrown at us at the appropriate age so there is that thread runs throughout all the Gravity Falls and kind of culminate like peaks at uh, in in Mabel's world in the uh, end sequence because the two hip-hop surfer dudes who play the electric drums and the guitar turn up like they're straight out of maxi's world or something and it just it seemed like it was alex hirsch remembering his sister ariel's stuff through a prism of Ugh.
4: when we get to mabelland it basically does just become a lisa frank portrait hmm.
2: but, okay. but that's what i'm saying is that it is looking it is a nostalgia of an of a group of people who were never there yeah and like rediscovering it but then also finding like the subtle horror in some of that which is something that i i have personally appreciated seeing the younger generations dig out from my youth
0: yeah so little gift shop of horrors is an anthology episode uh i'm gonna call this one filler when compared to everything else but mm-hmm. that it is not without bits that are great so, uh, it's the one you got. Hands off, starring the Hand Witch. A Baconings, starring Neil deGrasse Tyson as a pig, and Clay Day, starring Ray Harryhausen.
5: And that's about Flowers. It. Flowers for Algernon was not what I was expecting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My notes for this are literally: this part is only here for hand puns. Oh no, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the worst monster in the show. <laughs> <laughs> This one exists because the claymation is awesome, and then makes jokes about animation, and it's pretty great in its own way. Yeah, that is the extent yeah. of my notes for this episode.
4: I, I love the fact that at one point they're like, "Oh wait, so you don't just take the little claymation? You don't take the clay models and just move them one frame at a time?" He's like, "Oh God, no! I'm not a masochist. I use black magic." Like,
0: <laughs> nice.
4: It's funny to me that they would say, like, magic is pretty much the only way you would ever do stop motion because anything other than that would be just completely crazy.
0: The absurdity of stop motion. Ah!
4: It's slowly
6: swiping at us. Let's escape by standing still.
1: It didn't work!
0: Society of the Blind Eye, this is McGucket Revealed, and why the town is consistently oblivious.
1: This, I I really like that they brought this in for why the weird shit in Gravity Falls consistently goes unobserved by the majority of the townsfolk, or at least that's what people think. Because whenever you have a weird town story... That has to be addressed at some stage. Why is it that the only people who can see the oddities going on are our heroes, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's something that they um, they had to kind of look at in something like, uh, well, every Stephen King novel ever that's been about small town, let's just all ignore what's happening. And also uh, one of the forerunners of this, Erie, Indiana, where there's all this stuff going on and only the new kid is really paying attention to it. Yeah. The saddest thing
4: about this whole thing episode is eventually what we find out about mcgucket i'm not sure if that's where you were going next victoria but it it is a bit it is a bit depressing when you find out like the reason why he is in the state that he is is entirely self-inflicted
2: well you know he he wasn't it wasn't clear on the side effects i guess at the time so it was there's a bit of an accident but yes it it actually reminds me in a in a weird way of um song of the sea where one of the main antagonists the whole thing is about locking away emotions and memories and things and that that ends up being what causes a lot of the problems and so here we have a whole society of people who are helping quote unquote this whole town of goofballs yeah. block away their memories of this stuff and it's just making things worse. And especially for Fiddleford, uh, where he's just like, you know, absolutely I I love Fiddleford McGucket so much.
4: Oh, oh he's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, just he, but his
4: his, ham bo- his speaking in ham bones is, is where this I think originates yeah, in this yeah. episode.
2: It's all of those like little things, but it is it's just a kinetic, uh, fun little episode with the very light B-plot of Wendy and Mabel thinking maybe it would be nice to remove the memory of these terrible, uh, of Gabe. Let, let's be honest, it's Gabe. The trauma <laughs> yeah. wasn't enough to block it out personally, so, you know, you have to take extreme measures. And um, and for Wendy, it's what, like a like a catchy song that she doesn't like? Um,
4: oh, so, yeah, that's... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Blanchin' girl, I'm Blanchin'.
4: Yeah, what does Blanchin' even mean? A, 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 a rap artists can't just make up words. like? It, that's it, all it, they but, do, Wendy. What are you talking about? It means to, to blanch
1: vegetables into boiling water so that they go soft.
4: <laughs> oh, there you go. A wholesome song about cooking.
5: It's, it's, it's also about when someone blanches, it means they've gone pale. Uh, like they like yeah. they've seen or been told something shocking they they blanch as that all the blood drains out of their face and they just go pale not good oh,
1: either way <laughs> um, i do like that this is kind of a juxtaposition against how the world goes during weird mgeddon this is about things going badly for everyone because a group of people are trying to be too controlling and too restrictive. Later on it will be that Bill introduces too much chaos.
4: There's some cool imagery in this episode too. There, Obviously there's eyes all over the place, that's been a recurring image for a long time. But there's also a moment where, I can't remember exactly where it is but McGucket actually makes the symbol of the triangle with the eye in the middle. Mm
0: -hmm. It's at the end of his uh, video. Yeah, which is
4: an allusion back to Bill Cipher. And of course, the the society of the blind eye, all of their imagery is this eye with an X over it. Like the eye is being crossed out. I also like the fact that their little catchphrase is, unsee you later.
0: (laughs) I maintain that uh, Wendy deserved her own episode. Uh, I think we said that uh, last time. But I, I would gladly have swapped Little Gift Shop of Horrors for one that kind of explores how Wendy is the way she is. Like, uh, but something that challenges her. And she, she definitely gets that throughout the uh, series in dribs and drabs, but she's always a support player and she's never the focus. And Seuss gets one, so I, 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 yeah. I, I feel like Wendy needed more. A two-in The the one with the uh, time traveling and blending happens to revolve around Susie's birthday.
4: Yeah, there could have been also an allusion to, like, if she had had her own, like, focused episode like that, it could have made a little bit more sense of when she says at some point, like, I come across as very laid back, but I'm actually super anxious and wound up all the time and always stressed out. Like, have you seen my family? Like, that could have been a little you know, giving us a little peek into what that was
0: all about. Yeah. Whole episode. The scene when you actually finally have revealed to you Fiddleford's, the, the fact that he was a scientist who was studying all of this stuff, he's not the original writer of the journals, as uh, uh, Dipper was hoping for. And bear in mind, this was uh, like the, a big ongoing series of conspiracy theories back when conspiracy theories were still fun, with the fan base who had all their theories about what, who the actual writer of the... Um, trio of mysterious journals would be. Uh, it's, it's, it's very sad, and at the same time, it's, ex- al- it's almost exactly what happens to the Ice King in a 2011 double episode of the third season of Adventure Time. You see old video footage and of this scientist who starts out just a guy and slowly mutates into the Ice King over years. Both scenarios derive from a similar area of a little personal tragedy of loss that happens so slowly and is so unnoticed, it literally requires a time-lapse montage for us to take in the whole breadth of a man's life and existence bleeding away. Especially as uh, it deals very much with the idea of who McGucket is without his memories afterwards and his choice not to then blast himself back.
4: It is a nice ending though that like, he actually does feel good about getting his memories back and rediscovering who he used to be. Like, he doesn't have any sort of regret about that, but he also tells Dipper, like, give me some time to sort myself out a little bit. Like, I do want to help you, but give me a chance to actually, like, sort through some of this stuff first.
2: You know, as you're as you're talking, it makes me think that this is in a way almost highlighting how the weirdness of Gravity Falls is like easier to manage with a more like childlike perspective maybe because like our main characters are 12 and they've seen most of the things that we see other people get their memory washed because Lazy Susan sees the gnomes from like the very first episode Mm -hmm. and they take her away to get her her, uh, brain a good scrubbing but Mabel and and Dipper, they just kind of deal with it and the gnomes show up several times after that and it's like whatever. It's almost like by having a different perspective or maybe by not having a rigid sense of the world as it is almost lets you manage the, what we've been calling like horror, but this like weirdness in in a healthier way. Or maybe it's more representative of like culturally how since adults in society think that they like know how the world works and so they become blind to these other parts of it or the more childlike wonder. Anyway, sorry, I'm just musing idly at this point. No, oh, go for it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, like they have to do away with all the childish things as they mature.
2: Yeah, because like, if, if it was the vampire bat or you know whatever, like there have been legitimately horrifying things, but a bunch of Short David the Gnome types with tall hats is like hardly something that's going to break my brain. But <laughs> but Lazy Susan, you know, it's too much for, for her. And it's, it, it, I don't know, maybe it just feels somewhat indicative of, of something there. There's like a, there's some kind of theme there that I'm, I can't quite yeah. articulate.
4: Or it might be that the townspeople have had this practice done to them over so many times that it's causing some weird side effect where they they see anything even resembling what they've seen before and they just immediately reject it.
2: Oh, it's like we were talking, because there were a couple episodes ago we were talking about the, like, almost, like, ideology and, um, like, abiding by it, like, too strongly and maybe the brain erasing, at least in this episode, less so later on, is almost that uh, enculturation kind of thing where it's like, well, that doesn't fit my understanding of reality, so I'm going to reject it or try to redefine it so it can or, or whatever. So like be turning a blind eye to oh. the reality of the situation. But then I'm getting into epistemology versus ontology and we really don't want that, so. <laughs>
0: don't we? <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh. One final thing I just want to drop into this episode is uh, Peter Serafinowicz doing the voice of Blind Ivan. (laughs) Fantastic cameo appearance by him. He's uh, an amazing actor, amazing voice actor. So it was really cool to see him make an appearance in this.
0: Yeah, always love hearing him. He has a Mm -hmm. magnificent voice. I'm sorry, but what's my name? Where am I?
3: Your name is Tutu McBumbersnazzle. You're traveling banjo minstrel. With a song on your heart, and funny tattoos on your head!
0: Yes. I am Toot Toot McBomba Snazzle! Cheers! Toot Toot is m- Okay, so, <clears throat> next up, Episode 8, Blendin's Game. This is, uh, Seuss... ...doesn't like having bir- his birthday, or even being reminded that it's his birthday, and why. It's kinda heartbreaking as an episode, but it also contains time travel, which is one of the things I love to see most in entertainment.
4: Oh yeah. There's all the time puns, which is great. Like, oh, my time, knee, time, dang it. (laughs) But there's also the appearance of the time baby, which time baby kind of cracks me up in the fact that it is just a giant baby. Like, he has a, a bottle. There's one point where he, like, grabs his foot and starts, like, sucking on his toes, like an infant would,
0: and it's just and the worst thing
5: that can happen visual. is that you can have a tantrum.
0: This is the one where Dipper and Mabel try to find out why Soos seems to dislike having a birthday. They wind up going back in time to, I think, his 10th birthday, and he gets a postcard from his father, who couldn't make it this year, champ. There's so many and postcards in that box. There's so many. That guy many. It's has just not a, made but one birthday for this kid. of
4: them. Mm-hmm. And it's always, I'm really busy. And it kind of says the same message every time, which is also really sad. Like, hey, sorry, champ. Oh, sorry about this, champ. That just comes up over and over again, which kind of uh, hammers home the point that dad probably didn't really ever intend to do this in the first place and this is the first time that seuss actually like understands that and it's it's really a heartbreaking moment for him um, but there's there's a moment where they actually run into him as a child and mabel does this thing with the vending machine that she learned from seuss earlier that she does in the past that teaches him how to do it he's like oh a genius taught me how to do this she does it to the vending machine to open the front of it so that he can get the the treats out of it and he's like, "Wow, you must be some kind of genius or something," and runs away. <laughs> like, uh, it's a very chicken and egg situation of like, who who taught one the other thing? Blah, brain Who's explodes.
0: Kyle Reese in this one? <laughs>
4: Uh, Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) The end realisation that his friends here were willing to take part in time-related gladiatorial games just to give him a better birthday is quite lovely to see Seuss just reject the idea of this constant letdown of a father, which, until this point, had clearly been eating at him throughout his adult life as well. Mm. The idea that your parents don't care enough about you to even make the faintest of contact can't help but erode your sense of self-worth. And the idea that he's able to salvage that from his friendships with Dipper, Mabel, uh, Grunkle Stan and Wendy, it's really heartwarming. When when it's so clear that he is the sweetest and kindest of all of them.
4: It also kind of explains why Sue sees Stan as a father figure. Mm.
1: Which feeds in really beautifully with what happens in the very end
0: and Mm -hmm. it's indicative of the whole uh you can elect how to react to being mistreated or abused or neglected you don't have to emulate someone who's horrible to you the fact that Seuss maintains that if nothing else he has his abuelita around all the time to give him a a positive role model Mm -hmm. although there's one line she says which is so dark I don't even know how they got it past the uh, the various um, boards that kept sending them messages saying that you can't have that. This goop has to be pink, not red, and things like that. Uh, and that's, I, think, I can't remember the exact context, but Seuss sang something like, you know, oh, maybe, maybe uh, he's up in heaven. And she goes, no, he is not there. In a kind of a, either, I believe she's talking about her husband. She's Yeah, she's
4: talking about Seuss's grandfather.
0: Yeah. Uh, but she says he is not there whilst looking off to the side, so either he's a shit and he's still alive, or he's enough of a shit that Abuelita wholeheartedly believes he went to hell. No, she
5: looks down.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take that she doublon really tongue and turn it out. into a single. <laughs> okay, the love god. <sighs> Uh, this is the one, uh, this one feels like another filler episode, Like, of the two seasons, I'd say one is stronger episode to episode because there's so few of them that really feel like we didn't necessarily need this one. Whereas season two's got a couple that I'm like, ah, I keep forgetting this one because I don't go back and watch well, it. Whereas the is... end of two is so fantastic that you get the peaks that allow it to even out as, as just as yeah. good as season one. Yeah,
1: season one is about character establishment. Season two is about character expansion at best, maintenance at worst, with the little seeds being planted throughout that will lead to the plot. Sure. You, know,
0: you know what I think it almost might have been? That they made the end first, they wrote the end first they they had this whole finale planned out and they're like, if we're going to be able to make six episodes and not 21 like if disaster happens and we get cancelled, these are the ones we want to be able to put all of our uh, focus into that
1: is highly likely, I
0: mean that's literally what happened with the Owl House they they didn't get the chance to have filler episodes, they were just like, nope, plop, 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 plop That's all we got. So, Northwest Mansion Mystery. This is the one where Pacifica grows a little. This is the one with... uh, And actually, it's deceptive, because when you go back and watch it, you're like, Oh, that rounded up. Rather swifter than usual. Oh, there's a whole other act left to go. Okay, cool. Uh, So, yeah, this is the one where Pacifica has a big house party.
2: I love... Dipper and Pacifica working together. Uh, Dipper bringing class consciousness to poor Pacifica who has been trained with an actual bell that is so insidious uh, in order to deal with a, a rhyming lumberjack ghost who is extremely based. Uh, I, I really enjoy this episode.
4: <laughs> I do too. Uh, this is a st- this is one of the standouts for me too. It's got some really great character development. Surprisingly, like you said, between Pacifica and Dipper. You know, like when I first watched the show, did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. I figured if there was going to be any development, it would have been between Mabel and, and Pacifica. Pacifica. Yeah. But. Yeah, there's actually potential for them to be pretty good friends and to, you know, to potentially work together in some capacity because they actually, like, at one point do kind of work well together. If they can put their differences aside, they're, they're not a bad person team
1: i do like the dynamic of how they they interact with each other because what it fundamentally comes down to is that dipper has nothing invested in pacifica being nice to him mabel is much Mm. more likely to be to, to take it personally and feel hurt when pacifica lapses into the casual insults that are the way she talks whereas dipper is able to just brush those off because he's not holding out for the the relationship between them to mean anything In a lesser show, Dipper would have a crush on Pacifica, Mm. Mm -hmm. and
5: the the whole the whole episode would be about him trying to get in her good graces. And you know, it's like there's no there's no way that would happen.
4: No, no, he would never be doing
1: it in the first place because uh, the girl. It's it's the the right thing thing to do.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, you have a major problem on your hands that I'm very equipped to deal with. But also, if I'm going to do this for you, you're going to make my sister and her friends happy because this whole soiree that you're throwing actually does mean something to them. So make them happy and I'll fix your problem for you.
0: What are the class themes at play here in this one? Because we did allude to that earlier and if if there's any way of elaborating that would be great.
5: How many times in history have we seen powerful and rich people make promises and then just not keep them and not even care that they get caught in a lie? Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, and also uh, saying that something something big and lavish that they want built, that they need everybody else's help to build, is going to be some kind of a service to everyone, but then ends up being hoarded for the rich and powerful and everybody else doesn't get to actually enjoy it
1: yep i seem to recall this this really reminded me of something that i think i've seen fairly recently where a load of people at a swanky party or something similar got turned into trees was it one of the guillermo del toro cabinet of curiosity stories But yeah, I mean,
2: this is an episode about a bunch of rich people exploiting the labour of the people nearby, promising that the parties will trickle down to them, and then it doesn't. It's extremely,
1: like...
0: Ooh, trickle down expressed through parties. There is even
1: a shot towards the end where Pacifica's father is stood at the top of the the stairs, and he has a pyramid of glasses set up, which is the thing that demonstrates...
0: Trickle Trickle down down economics.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. and later they even
2: make it, in one of the other episodes, they make a joke about Ronald Reagan in the first place, which is like, clearly that's that's part of this whole thing. It's trickle-down party-nomics, and uh, that's sometimes you just need to have a lumberjack ghost burn down the manor, or try to burn down the manor. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is a metaphor for, it's so obvious that it almost goes without saying, even to the point where they're in the panic shelter and he's like, we have finger sandwiches to last us a week and then we'll eat the butler. It's just, yep, yep, that's exactly Uh what you'll do. Mm -hmm.
4: Obviously, not everybody is going to have this turnabout and not everybody with money is necessarily going to have a moment like Pacifica does, but it is nice that in this universe we're allowed the just the opportunity. We're allowed the the room to explore the notion that Pacifica might have a chance to escape becoming her parents. And she might be the actual link in the chain that gets broken, like she like she says before, and like, Dipper accuses her of being before. Like this might actually be the link in the chain that breaks
2: and it allows for Pacifica to um one, be a more nuanced character, and two, come around to essentially join the heroes in the end. Um, you know, because in, in Weird Mageddon, her parents it, immediately, like all good capitalists, decide to pledge their loyalty to the dystopic leader uh, who immediately rearranges all the orifices on their face. Oh, um, God.
0: That well, was a specific- bit of, of horror that doesn't get a comedy relaxation moment. It's just horrendous.
4: Oh, no. that, yeah. I mean, he deserved it.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that he, <laughs> he got did, it but done, it is but there's no disturbing. little spoonful of sugar.
2: Yeah. but but Pacifica gets to be a part of the the group at the end as does Robbie which is really in a sense what the love god was kind of like letting Robbie be less of a, a foil and more of like part of the crew or at least making it like more nuanced than that and at the very end she even attends the 13th birthday party and and gives uh Mabel a mini golf putter oh, as a uh, as yes. Her gift yes yeah so yeah. like that you, was very
4: sweet yeah. There's a there's a moment very early in the episode that I think kind of encapsulates all of the dynamics between Pacifica and her parents where she comes in and she looks very nice. She looks very well put together and she seems very happy with herself and her mom goes Hey, I told you that the theme for this party is seafoam green, not lake foam green. And Pacifica just looks at herself and goes, but I kind of like it. And it's she's so sad that her mom has given her such a hard time about this. And she was actually very happy with how she put herself together, but it just gets squashed by her mom and dad. It's like, oh man, this sucks.
0: Yeah, again, if you're not feeling at least a little bit sorry for Pacifica by the end of this episode, then the production team have not done their job. Now remember, Pacifica, winning is everything.
5: Oh, oh, and also looks. Winning
3: and looks. Dad, I've been practicing for like a million hours, okay? I've got this. You'll stay to watch, right?
6: Pacifica, darling, we have a party to go to. We'll just read about your victory in the paper.
0: Oh, and whatever happens, just remember one thing. You're a Northwest. Don't lose. Not What He Seems, episode 11, this is the halfway point in the uh, season, and it's where Stanley's twin brother Stanford, whom he has been masquerading as for years, reappears out of the portal, voiced by J.K. Simmons, and... Everything kind of changes, it switches gear. It's almost like they can't come back from this because it's such a huge revelation. And again, the you hid this from us for all this time. We've been staying with a guy who says he's one person but actually is a different person. That's the plot of an M. Night Shyamalan film and not a good one. It's pretty severe, is what I mean. But uh, this is the one where at the end, Stan says to Mabel before it segues into the second part where we find out about the brother, you have to trust me, please. Whatever I was doing, I was doing for this family. And Mabel mm. does trust him, so this is a key emotional gateway they have to step through.
5: It's when Grunkle Stan goes from like a two-dimensional con-man type archetype character.
0: Yeah, con-dude. Yeah, con-dude. <laughs> <Sorry>. con <laughs>
5: And he it reveals that you know everything that he's been scheming at has been for a, a, not exactly a higher purpose because he's still scheming and he's still a con person. It brings more depth to what could have been just like a, just a jokey character.
0: yeah, and, this and is kind
4: of where things in the in this season get serious, and we do see a lot more depth with with Stanley. And I think it also is a good point of just showing the fundamental differences between Dipper and Mabel and how they react to things. It's really clearly spelled out in this episode, especially at the end where, you know, Dipper's default is always going to be to, like, distrust and cynicism, which serves him well in a lot of cases, but that's just kind of where he goes straight out of the gate. And then Mabel's default is openness and trust and just, like, I'm... Um, gonna leave it in your hands just put my hands up and let it happen
2: it, it's really just uh, an, an excellent reveal because there's there's that kind of heuristic that twins happen every other generation so you have stan and stan and then you know they like their sister's kids and then it does give a really good reflection of mabel and and dipper and possibly in a way that is like this is how you your dynamic could be if you lose the dynamic you currently have, which yeah. really gets played up later on in the in the season. Stan Ford doesn't really, he doesn't even talk until the next episode, which mm-hmm. is sort of like the second half of, of this, because it's not what he seems in The Tale of Two Stans. Mm-hmm. Um, not what he seems is really about the the government coming down on them and, ev- and everybody being like, oh no, Stan really is like a super genius going to destroy the world. Uh, And then Stan proves to be incredibly competent at dealing with the uh, police uh, in a very Stan way. And then, you know, Ford comes out and they get the whole flashback in the next one. And then they just wrap up all those government agents pretty quick, which is delightful in its own way.
4: I like how Stanley uses the anomalies with the gravitational shifts to help him escape. He is a bit of a con dude, as we keep saying, but he's smart. Like, he knows how to get out of those situations. He's very clever in that very
1: specific way.
2: The Tale of Two Stands is just a brutal takedown in New Jersey. Like, I don't know what New
1: Jersey got <laughs> out of Hirsch, but oh my goodness. I was, I was trying to work out with Willow earlier what the generational line was is and there's a moment in a tale of two stands where you see Stanford and Stanley's mother holding a baby, mm-hmm. which I'm yeah, assuming they... is their very much younger brother who is the grandparent of Mipra uh, at and Table, Dipper and Mabel.
2: <laughs> their sibling, their younger sibling they call Shermie mm-hmm. in one episode there's that would be the grandparents of Dipper and Mabel and we we know that um, Stanley and Stanford are in a, like the mid 70s and we know that they have still a good 20 or so more years of adventure going if Bill Cipher's crack at Stanford at one point is to be believed
0: yeah uh, I'm not sure if, if well, I I am not qualified to make any kind of uh, statement on uh, Stanford, uh, and uh, we would probably need to check with the experts on this one. But Willows has a long-standing uh, theory that uh, they picked up within the fan base that Stanford is on the spectrum in some regard. There's certain things that he considers to be the logical uh, decision to make which quote-unquote neurotypical people would not. Mm. Mm.
1: There is a very tropey pattern which is sometimes done very well and sometimes very poorly a, a very sort of odd couple style of presenting mm. duo characters whereby one of them has a lot of autistic
0: traits and, and one of them has, them has a lot of ADHD, ADHD traits i knew that was going to be what you and, said
1: and i would say that there are hints of this underplayed enough done what i would consider to be well rather than so overtly that it becomes stereotypical yeah. in both Stanford and Stanley and Mabel and Dipper.
7: Yeah,
2: Ford has 12 PhDs and, is, and knows the rules for Dungeons, Dungeons and more Dungeons by, by heart. Of course he's not neurotypical.
5: <laughs> and I think it's been exacerbated by him spending so much time in other dimensions mm. away from human society and just not connecting with other people. So he, he's, he's forgotten largely how to people
0: yeah. You see, again, I thought for some reason that Stanford was a fixture of this entire season. And frankly, considering some of the filler episodes that we got before this should have been uh, for long. Like, if they got to this sooner and had a few more kind of let's see what we can do. More of a when they got to the Fire Nation in uh, The Last Airbender.
1: I thought you were bringing the Fire Nation into this, then. No. <laughs> Everything <laughs> the, changed when the Fire, fire
0: Nation <laughs> There were some really good character-specific episodes. And similarly, when they got to ba Sing Se in, in book two, like they they stopped, but when they were going to do an episode that didn't necessarily need to be there, it was always a character piece. And to that end, this is why I feel like uh, uh, the, the otherwise fantastic Wendy is ill-served, and that some more time for for there to sort of build up a resentment between Stanford and uh, uh, Stanley, or maybe even start chipping away at that resentment and show the two brothers sort of trying to get on as a result. Uh, Stanford was around for four episodes, the next four we're going to be talking about. Dungeons, Dungeons and More Dungeons, The Stancurian Candidate, The Last Mabelcorn and Roadside Attraction, and all of them are predicated on, upon the fact that he is now there... And Stan Lee, who's been masquerading as him, now feels ousted from his own position and family.
2: Ford's not even in Roadside Attractions, but he does appear in Dipper and Mabel uh, versus the future quite substantially. Yeah. But also, uh, even more to your point, at the end of Tale of Two Stans, Stan tells Ford, like, you stay away from these kids, they're the only family I have left. Mm. And uh, it's literally the end of dungeons, dungeons, and more dungeons. The next episode that Ford breaks that yeah. promise, and and shows Dipper the new MacGuffin that is going to lead to Weirdmageddon. Yeah. So it's it's what you say. Like they, if they had introduced Ford much earlier, they could have extended that plot beat as opposed to introducing it in the mid credits. Uh, scene of one episode and immediately undoing it in the mid credit scene of the next.
4: Yeah, they had to kind of fast track through that character beat just to get to the next point where Ford is kind of starting to take Dipper under his wing Mm -hmm. a little bit and hinting at being a mentor to him.
0: One thing I do like, though, even though they haven't had episodes uh, uh, focusing on uh, a whole bunch of them. I mean, I'm, the way I'm describing it here, we're talking later seasons of The Simpsons, where they're like, we haven't had a Mo show, so let's do one just about Mo." But the actual denizens of Gravity Falls get loads of little uh, moments throughout the 41 episodes that kind of make you warm to them rather than ever, and I said this before, ridiculing them as uh, small town Americans. It, it feels far more affectionate than it could have been.
2: Yeah, even the and Candidate episode like has a lot of digs at small town America mm. that feel softer or more like gentle in a way that they didn't have to be. Like, well, of course this little town picks their mayor by whoever the eagle kisses. That sounds like American nonsense. <laughs> But um, affectionate yeah, it's but, uh, anyway, affectionate. Hmm. Yeah, it, yes, it's it's an affectionate ribbing, which I, I, I feel like to compare it to the absolute burns on New Jersey in the previous episode. Uh, like it, that feels a lot less affectionate. So again, I don't know what New Jersey did to Alex Hirsch, but
0: yeah. Um,
2: but yeah, it's funny to me. Who because hurt we're you, talking... Alex? Was
0: it New Jersey? <laughs> Was, it New Jersey?
2: <laughs> Was it New Jersey? Show us on the the, the map. map where New Jersey hurt you. <laughs> But I find it really telling that the episode that we are talking about all of these other things and about every other episode is the Dungeons, Dungeons and More Dungeons because it is a filler ass episode uh-huh. other than making it very apparent that Ford and Dipper are aligned in a lot of ways. Um, and then some great jokes at D&D's expense uh-huh. as a certified dungeon master for over two decades now, I think is is totally appropriate and and very, very funny.
4: Amazing. I love the fact that Weird Al makes an appearance as the voice mm, of Probabilitor, Probabilitor in this episode. It's really great. And uh, going along with all the digs at uh, DD and more D, they have this flashback where they show how. Like, at one point, they tried to rebrand the game as something that was, like, hip and cool. Diggity and Dungeons and all that. Diggity Dungeons and all that. And it's, like, the the worst poochy thing from The Simpsons. Poochification. It's, like, the worst version yes. of that.
0: The only uh, more prominent version, because we have the contrast of the real one, is, of course, Dippy Fresh, who turns up nearer the end as this... If you're going to idealize Dipper like that, do you know who Dipper is... <laughs> And like that that's kind of part of uh, of Mabel's uh, denial which seeped into that whole episode
1: well it's it's trying to make a version of Dipper which won't think anything she doesn't think
0: but it's also a version that won't ever be like Dipper at all exactly yeah.
5: It was very Burger King Kids Club.
0: Mmm, even down to the, like, one of the kids in the Burger King Kids Club, I don't remember the names, had like that sort of pair of sunglasses that aren't even Mm -hmm. spectacle shaped but look more like a friggin' scuba mask. I did some googling and it's Kidvid.
4: I'm pretty Mm. sure one of them also wore like the MC Hammer parachute pants. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that, it kind of works with that too.
0: I'm now googling Burger King Kids Club. Do yourselves a favour at home, folks. And yeah, the... not <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's why I
3: prepared a backup dipper with a more supportive attitude. Whoa. Uh,
6: yeah! Wiggity, wiggity, what's up, dude bros? I'm Dippy Fresh. I like skateboarding, supporting my sister, and punctuating every sentence with a high five. Huh? Oh, don't mind if I... <clears throat> sorry, I can't leave him hanging. Yes! You're dead to me, Seuss. But that doesn't mean you can just stay in here forever! Hey, take a chill pill! Those grow on trees here! You stay out of this, Dippy Fresh! And replaced with town darling Dippy Fresh!
0: Dippy, come on out.
6: Flip-a-dip-dip!
0: I hate him so much! So yeah, this is um, putting the pressure on both Stan and Mabel, because if Dipper's hanging around with Stanford, then that means that they've lost the the people they're connected to, and you no longer have that complementary balance. Nobody's making up for the weaknesses of the others with their own strengths. They're just amplifying pre-existing strengths and weaknesses. Ergo, amongst many other things, it presents a threat to the harmony that had previously been established
4: i do find it very endearing though that the way ford and dipper eventually get them into playing the game is to just explain it to them in the most straightforward way that they would understand like yes we know that it involves math but it also involves risk and imagination pan to stanley risk mabel imagination like this is a perfect game for them because there are no like we don't know what the moves are we don't know like there are none, you make them up. Like That's the whole point of it. This is actually a perfect game for the two of you specifically to do and that we could all eventually play together. And
2: the reveal at the end that it was the, the gum to, to get the natural 30. Yeah. All your math is no match for dumb luck and it's not dumb luck at all. It's oh
4: no, at all. <laughs> it's it's the whole, I, I make my own luck thing with the, uh, you know, Harvey Dent's coin, uh, Stan's die is always going to be, it's it's not a loaded die, but he kind of makes it into a loaded die. I'm say, I'd like to take the next hour to tell you about my D&D characters. <laughs> <laughs> Only
2: if I can take the next hour to tell you about mine.
6: <laughs> Education? Get it. Prosperity? Get it. A Gravity Falls we can be proud of? Get it! I really have to wear this thing? It looks like a flag threw up on me.
3: Grunkle Stan, just trust your lucky tie.
6: And now,
3: Stanford
6: Pines!
3: You're on, Grunkle Stan! Okay, we'll only jump in if he starts doing badly.
6: Hiya there! Stan Pines here! Let's get real. Do you think the women of Gravity Falls wear too much makeup? Jump in! Jump in! Uh, what I meant to say was, you ladies all look great. And have you done something with your hair? Girl, you are working it!
5: Oh, that is exactly what I needed to hear right now.
6: Whew! I'm, I'm Stan Pines. Pines. You may know me as that guy who accidentally let all those bees loose in that elementary school a few years back. But I believe in things. America. Freedom. Amerifreedom. Good. He's saying all the right things.
0: So, the stan candidate.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's real short, it's Stan runs for mayor. There's a great dig at Ronald Reagan's masters and that Ford is possibly to blame for all of the failures of society today, which is pretty rough, because I like Ford. Um, And there's a lot of jokes about politics, but in the end, Stan saves the kids from uh, Gideon's machinations and uh, is disqualified from running for mayor because of his many, many crimes.
4: Yeah. I think probably the most important thing that comes out of this episode in terms of moving the plot forward is right at the very end where you see that Gideon, who is now in jail, starts to strike a deal with Bill Cipher, which is going to pay off later.
2: Well, except it doesn't, interestingly enough. It ends up being a plot. Subversion because you think that Gideon is going to make some deal with Bill to like let Bill in and take over stuff, but it ends up not being Gideon that lets Bill cause Weird Mageddon. So I think think that's kind of neat.
4: Yeah, I think they do still, they've got something worked out with each other. Like he must have helped him in some way because he is allowed to just kind of run free once Weird Mageddon does come. And I don't think Bill would have just allowed him to do that if he hadn't done something for him.
2: Maybe. I mean, we, we know that Giant Gompers eats the jail and Gideon mm-hmm. escapes with all of his new best friends, like Ghost Eyes. Ghost Eyes, <laughs>
4: that guy. Um, amazing.
2: And, and Bill, I don't know, Gideon's a useful pawn for Bill more than anything else, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Which ties in with the recurring joke about Gideon being a ventriloquist dummy. He is a puppet.
4: Oh no, they're bad. Oh, more puppets.
0: Mm-hmm. He's puppeteering his dad, and Bill's puppeteering him, folks. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The last Mabel corn. This is where Mabel worries that she isn't a good enough person because she's being judged by a, a squeaky unicorn. And I think this is. Uh, this might feel like filler, but it's actually important because feeling like she's a good person genuinely as opposed to just that she's fulfilled a certain level of criteria is important to mabel
1: she has a moral core that somebody like say for example pacifica who is good in the sense that she does everything her parents ask of her (laughs) but is very contrasted with Mabel, who is inspired by wanting to be helpful and kind to the people that she cares about.
0: I think you just underlined the flaw in the Paragon-Renegade system in Mass Effect.
1: Well, yes. With the
0: parents being the council. That's,
1: that's why I can't do full Paragon.
0: <laughs> sometimes
1: the things you are asked to do as a Paragon are not good things.
7: Yeah.
4: Yeah, are stupid and bad. But the the thing about Pacifica, too, is like Pacifica's version of good is obedience and Mabel, is, like it's obedience versus being heart conscious, mm. which Mabel definitely is. But I, I think this does, you know, there are some bits of this that could feel like filler, but there are some important revelations that happen here, too, especially with Dipper and Ford because they're looking for like on the off chance that Mabel can't get the unicorn hair which they need to make a little bit of a protection uh, barrier around the, um, the mystery shack they're like okay if that for some reason doesn't work this is an alternative which is to strengthen our minds so that Bill can't get in there now Ford doesn't have that problem because he's had a metal plate <laughs> installed in his head, a very strong one apparently, where even the mind erasing device doesn't work on him, but he's having Dipper put it on so that he can strengthen his mind um, against a possible infiltration by Bill Cipher.
1: The 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 contrast here between the Dipper-Stroke-Ford way of uh, protecting everybody and the Mabel way of protecting everybody is quite neat, especially considering which one ends up working.
4: Yeah, and it's not a bad idea. And again, I think going back to what we we're saying about Ford being a very logical person, he's the kind of guy that would say... Uh, we have to have some kind of contingency there has to be some kind of backup plan in place we can't just put all of our eggs in one basket so it's smart of him to have that sort of thing in mind and to want to be prepared in that way but it does kind of get turned around on him because dipper wants to have just a peek inside of ford's mind puts the device on him and gets to see some of some of what was going on in the other dimensions when he was stuck in the portal—it's not good.
1: I love the way—it's way, really not good. I love the way Dipper's thoughts are portrayed in this. By the way, the the, yes. the screen behind with just the the lines and lines of thought that sometimes repeat but sometimes don't, and just words scrolling back and forth endlessly. That's what the inside of my head looks like. It's <laughs> it's itchy sometimes. <laughs> a
4: lot of these scrolling words. I think it's also a neat parallel to show that there there was a point at which both Burr and Ford got taken in by Bill's uh, by his flattery and mm. by his manipulation, and it was at a point where they were both kind of desperate. They were in a desperate place and didn't know what else to do. And then Bill showed up and gave them an easy solution with a lot of strings attached. So. They, it's a it's a nice way to tie their characters together in that the reason they were taken
1: in was because
4: they were at that moment of desperation for both of them.
1: Another thing I particularly like about this episode is how uh, this is this is kind of another Wendy thing, but it's really it's Mabel's girls. The fact that in the face of someone insinuating that Mabel is not good enough. Their response is, you grind those fairies up and we, we will take down that unicorn. And yes.
2: Hence why I said Wendy is a feminist icon. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> she has is it, it, the, the whole episode is like, it's, it's frustrating in that I've been sort of on where Mabel is. People expect a level of perfection and arbitrary goodness that is unattainable. There's always something wrong. There's always something where you fall short and there's no no climbing that mountain. There's no reaching that peak. So you just have to avoid the trap of thinking that you have to meet someone else's standards in order to be worthy of something.
1: Which I would say we had echoes of in the Barbie movie, that that this is sort of a, a, a brief forerunner of, of that idea that there is this pattern of, like you said, expected perfection, that the way it's framed is like, well, we know you're never going to be that good, but we we feel like you should really try. You know, just, just break yourself a little bit on that wheel of, of trying to accomplish what we've told you you can't
2: I am a little conflicted about the fact that they snitch on the fairy dust dealer because because that's never okay but then the cops are also on the take so I don't know it's like a it's like a scene from the wire that crept
1: in mm. this whole system's <laughs> corrupt man it's all got to come down yeah
0: um, well, that's kind of what Bill was trying to do but that then the chaos seeped in through the door and it was too chaotic
2: mm. <laughs> Uh, uh other random things if you look in the background when dipper has the thought uh thing on the thought helmet uh there's one particular part where one of the big things that comes up again and again is him being very self-conscious about how he crosses his legs which is a very trans feeling again just poking at those little elements and i also love the fact that uh it straight up foreshadows how they defeat bill because uh, when Dipper thinks that Ford has is is possessed by Bill he literally grabs the memory gun spoilers for 5 episodes from now and is like I will erase you from that mind which is pretty neat. I was I was shocked watching this again that Dipper yeah. in a moment of of like panic essentially comes up with what they eventually use to uh, defeat the big bad.
1: Yeah. And it does kind of set up that Bill hasn't tried or at least hasn't got close enough to be able to try to get into Ford's mind since he had the plate installed that's true and otherwise it also, he would know he can't do that mm-hmm. yeah exactly
4: but he, he isn't aware of that so he does try to do it it probably it, it might actually give Ford the idea to do it later by seeing Dipper do that I also kind of like the fact that Ford could have been really upset with Dipper for for doing all of this stuff and for having that moment of panic. But he actually tells him, like, you know what, your instincts were pretty correct on this one. Like, your instinct to not immediately trust me and to make absolutely sure that I'm in my right mind, that was actually the correct thing to do.
0: We, in fact, uh, uh, further to what you were just saying, get two power of three moments with these stacked scenarios. The prospect of blanking out memories in Society of the Blind Eye, then Dipper using that as a model so that we understand it when it finally comes up, just just to keep it in our memory as that this is an actual way of doing it, so that we don't have to explain it when we get that far to the end. But also... Mm -hmm. Dipper's body playing host to Bill Cipher, then Dipper paranoid over that very prospect and thinking about it all the time, suspecting that's what's happening to his uncle and then the third being Blendin turning up to Mabel and actually Actually. being uh, possessed by Bill.
2: Which was only allowed because they showed Blendin friendship, like mercy at the end of Blendin's game and gave him wonderful hair and let him go back to his job this idea that well you might be an antagonist but that doesn't mean that we should destroy you utterly it means that like you're a person we should show you respect and friendship and mercy and you were caught up in trauma and such like that which allows bill the opportunity to take the rift from mabel in, in a couple of episodes
1: but it's also if i may we will give you a lift home and you can have a car taco. Absolutely.
3: Wait, scam?
6: Kid, unicorns can't see into your heart. All our dumb horns can do is glow, point towards the nearest rainbow, and play rave music. Yeah, the whole pure of heart racket is just a line we use to get humans to leave us alone. Guys,
3: shut up. All this time, all this time I thought I was you're even worse than I am! No. <gasps> okay, fine. So you learned our secret. We're jerks,
6: okay? We have more hair than we know what to do with, and we keep it to ourselves just to tick humans off. What are you gonna do about it? Huh? Huh? What are you gonna do? Oh! oh. oh.
3: Woo! Go, Mabel!
6: Join the dark side! <sighs> yeah. Fight! Fight! fight. Hey. Oh, so it's a fight you want! Well. It's a fight
3: you're
0: going to get! Roadside Attraction, as I said, is, even though Stanford's not in it, he absolutely is contributing to Stanley's feeling of, I'm losing these kids. When they go home at the end of the summer, that's it. I may never see them again. I'm going to be ousted from this town for lying to them, and my brother doesn't want me around, so God knows what's going to happen. So he kind of takes them under his wing for a a journey that's entirely motivated by his own sense of wanting to prank prankers who've pranked him before and teaching his uh, grandnephew. The worst way to uh, see women in terms of just, you know, just, just make yourself feel good that you got numbers from them, but you don't have to call any of them. Just play with their emotions. It's not the worst way to treat women, but it's... Maybe the worst way to treat women in Gravity Falls.
5: It's that shotgun approach of the
0: pickup mm. person. The Katamari approach. Just rolling down the road, trying to squash women and pick them up as you as you go on your sticky prongs. Ew. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they meet in the end, and it's just kind of like, oh, who are these girls? I met you for five minutes, three hours ago. Come on. I know they're like 12. But it does seem a weird message that is uh, very status quo-y. Dipper's finally, like, feeling confident and talking to people, actually getting some benefit from it. And then in the end, it's just like, oh, but talking to too many girls, that's a great way to get them jealous of you. Girls always be jealous, aren't they?
0: The, the way you put it like that, they actually had the makings of a really great episode where you lean in as a, uh, a viewer of going, yeah, Dipper's going to find out, just go with one person. And then Dipper says, no, that's malarkey as well. I like all of these girls as friends. That's also him understanding that what he has with Wendy is really good for him and for her.
1: And it builds on the positive message about it being okay for Seuss to have an online relationship with Melanie, because they are by necessity apart, (laughs) by saying, well, okay, you're 12. It's maybe okay to be emailing because at this stage that's all it's gonna be is some emailing back and forth to these girls that like you say victoria he's met for five minutes
0: yeah
6: (sighs) all right kid i gotta admit something i'm no expert on women truth is i've been divorced once and slapped more times than i can remember confidence can buy you a lot but at the end of the day pickup artists tend to get our heads bitten off when it comes to women i'm a failure hey we're both failures You know, even if your dating tips were bad, I actually haven't thought about Wendy all day. Plus, you did teach me to be more confident. I guess I just need to learn to use that power for good. Hey, I found a pamphlet I don't think you've
7: read yet.
3: It's okay, Deeper. The open road makes people do crazy things. Plus, after seeing you flee the spider like a baby, I kind of lost the interest.
6: Yep, yep, I deserve that. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, babies! Babies! Still feel a little bad about wrecking those tourist traps. Ah, come on, everyone loves my pranks, and the best part is, I never have to face any consequence. Sweet lord! Oh, come on! That's what you get. That's what you get! (laughs) I don't understand. I completely don't deserve this. Oh man, are we going to have to help clean this
0: up?
3: Nah, I'm sure Seuss will take care of it.
0: Next time around, we will be discussing the five-episode finale of Gravity Falls Season 2, starting with Dipper and Mabel versus The Future and running all the way up to the astonishing climax. If for some reason you haven't yet watched this show, I recommend you binge the whole lot over the next seven days. It's on Disney+, Plus. it's right there in HD. Go see. Next time, we will also be talking to the two guests who are on our season one shows, Karu Nagisa and Debbie Morse. Here's a clip of what they said when we got all the way to the very end, and I asked if there was anything they wanted to say about episodes one through 16 of season two.
7: I very much love the fact that the whole series is super anti-capitalist in many Mm. respects. Most notably in uh, Northwest Mansion Mystery. And you see that Pacifica is sort of on the cusp of being a person or being a rich person. And those are mutually exclusive things that the Northwest family are not only shysters and always have been but they lord over the fact that they have fewer scruples than everybody else Mm. they lord that over the town like that's the only difference between the northwest and everybody else in the town is that the northwest basically have no moral code and the rest of the town has the capacity to feel shame still yeah I am also going to say that ACAB includes Sheriff Blubbs and Deputy Derlin. Sorry, but they are just mad with power. By own, uh, Although I, d-
0: I do love their ending when they actually do get to declare how much they love each other. Apparently they had to fight yes. tooth and claw against Disney to achieve that.
7: Oops. Of course. Yes, and I'm glad that they did. I I respect their love and I respect them as people, but A. Hey, Cab you know, still ACAB. Still like not
0: <laughs> You can maybe get away with uh, feeling like they're so oblivious to everything going on outside Gravity Falls that they're not complicit in the grander system there, but, eh, they still abuse their power.
7: In Dungeons, Dungeons, and More Dungeons, that was clearly based off Second Ed. Mm. <laughs> that, that was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons that they were referencing. And that, that, I think covers most of the stuff that I would want to uh, talk about.
8: Yeah. The, the capitalist stuff for sure. Also, I like, it's so much about, it's basically an ode to found family. And obviously, you know, you've got some very blood family going on there. Cause you know, it's Grunkle Stan and his great niece and great nephew and Ford and the same, but it's, you know, this whole town has become their family. And it's it's so very identifiable to most LGBT plus people. You find those what, what others would deem kooks and weirdos, and people you know outside the mainstream, and those become your family. And I love that that the show embraces it. Be yourself. Very 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 much the theme of the whole show is be yourself. Don't let the world dim your weirdness. Just so lovely. It's such a nice message. I like the fact that so many times in kids, you know, in kids media, well, in media in general, you'll get, okay, the first plan didn't work out. So, okay, it's going to be the second one. And this is what, in the end, it takes four plans (laughs) to defeat Bill, I think it
0: is. It allows you to not just assume, oh, that's not going to (laughs) work. But obviously it's this hidden thing. Oh, no wait, Actually, not that either.
8: Yeah. Yeah, I like very I think well I think that's a message that kids get a little too much from our media, because that's so not how life works. So often in life, you will try this, okay, that didn't work, okay, try this other thing, that didn't work, okay, it's this, and you get a little farther, and this other thing, and you know, it, it's a cobbled together life often. <laughs> so I like the fact that it, it took multiple tries; it wasn't too easy, quote unquote. I mean, even the first couple of tries weren't easy, but the message-wise, I think it communicates something important.
0: And we will rejoin you for that grand finale next week. Please visit the gift shop on the way out. Spend all your money.